The Bills added veteran offensive tackle Brandon Shell, and could DeAndre Hopkins also be on the way? We're breaking it all down today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and of course, a big welcome to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, folks, we got some stuff to get into because the Bills added a veteran offensive lineman in the form of Brandon Shell, and I want to break him down. But also, DeAndre Hopkins, he's available. And I want to talk about that possibility and what it would take to get that deal done later on in the podcast, but let's do start with the player the Bills actually did sign before we talk about the one they could sign. So Brandon Shell, multiple reports out there indicate that he is signing a one-year deal with the Buffalo Bills. Brandon Shell is 31 years old. He turns 32 in February, so this will be his age 31 season. He was a fifth-round pick in 2016 by the New York Jets out of South Carolina. And then his rookie season, he played in eight games with three starts in 2016. But then he played a lot of football. He turned into a primary starting right tackle. And he has started at least 10 games in every season since 2017. And so he was the Jets' primary starting right tackle from 2017 through 2019, the Seattle Seahawks' primary starting right tackle in 2020 and 2021, and then most recently was last year with the Miami Dolphins. He was their primary starting right tackle in 2022 as they dealt with some injuries at that spot with Austin Jackson, and then Brandon Shell came in and actually stabilized the position quite well. So 72 starts for his career. I think he's appeared in 83 games, so a very experienced NFL offensive lineman added to the Buffalo Bills. Now, when it does come down to his experience, he's really only played right tackle. 4,476 career snaps at right tackle, 118 at left tackle, and that's it. So not a guy that has much background at all at left tackle. I think all of his left tackle snaps this year came with the Dolphins in two different games where he was asked to play left tackle. Never any snaps at guard, never any snaps at center. So versatility, not really something that Brandon Shell has proven to be throughout his career. Now, obviously, we've talked a lot about Spencer Brown, the Bills' starting right tackle and how important this coming year is for him. We've also talked a lot about how despite being 
big believers in Spencer Brown. And when I say that, I mean the Bills, right? The Bills are very clearly big believers in Spencer Brown. And I certainly have a level of optimism about him taking a major step forward this year. But despite them being a big believer in Spencer Brown, it has been surprising that nothing, literally nothing, has been done this offseason until now to bring in anyone at offensive tackle. They re-signed David Questenbury. Bobby Hart is still a free agent. He was rostered last year. And then you have Tommy Doyle coming back off of injured reserve because of the ACL tear that he suffered in week three. And so that's what you had to go with Deion Dawkins and Spencer Brown, your likely starters. I think this is a move that needed to happen. Competition was needed in a big, big way. Again, I think Spencer Brown is going to start at right tackle. I'm not really thinking of Brandon Shell as a player that's going to come in and unseat Spencer Brown as the Bills starting right tackle. The messaging is pretty clear out of one Bills drive when you listen to Sean McDermott and you listen to Brandon Bean discuss Spencer Brown at right tackle. You guys probably think I'm going to go on this whole monologue right now about his background and injuries and all that type of stuff, but I'm not going to. I'm going to at this point I think I've said it enough times. But obviously this is a big year. Year three, it's got to come together for Spencer Brown. And if it didn't, having David Questenbury as your next man up, and then that's basically it, is an unsettling spot. Because what if it doesn't come together for Spencer Brown? Well, I can tell you that I'm a a lot more comfortable with that idea knowing that Brandon Shell is now in the mix. So they needed this move. Competition was needed in a big way. Again, I don't think that Brandon Shell beats out Spencer Brown to start, but is there a reasonable chance that he can beat out David Questenbury and Tommy Doyle to be the primary backup? I'd say that's fairly likely. I think you can probably look at the careers and not probably, you can. You can look at the careers of all of the Bills' offensive tackles and say that Brandon Shell has clearly had the second-best career of anyone not named Deion Dawkins, who's clearly number one. And so this is a nice player to have now in the mix. And so your overall offensive line competition is shaping up very, very nicely. At offensive tackle, I think you're primary pieces are obviously Deion Dawkins, Spencer Brown, David Questenbury, Brandon Shell. And then you get to like Tommy Doyle, Ryan Van Denmark, Alec Anderson, Richard Garage. But in Dawkins, Brown, Questenbury, Shell, and Doyle, I think you have a nice mix there of five guys competing for four spots. I think between Questenbury, Shell, and Doyle, two of them can make the roster. And that's assuming nobody gets hurt. You look at the interior offensive line, and you feel good about this too. Mitch Morse, Connor McGovern, Ryan Bates, Osiris Torrance, David Edwards, Ike Bucker. I mean, that's your meaningful players, and I think they're all rosterable. I think you have several several starting caliber players there in Morse, McGovern, Bates, Edwards, Torrance, you know, even Bucker. Like, I think you have that many players that can start. 
And then your bottom of the barrel guys are like Kevin Jarvis, Nick Broker, or Greg Manns. And so I think you're like you're going back to that core piece of Morse, McGovern, Bates, Torrance, Edwards, Bucker. You're probably going to roster four of those. And so the makeup of this offensive line as we consider it here at the end of May, I think you have plenty of legitimate NFL starting caliber talent, and you're absolutely loaded with NFL roster caliber talent. And so this offensive line to me is in very good shape. I really like the makeup of this group now that Brandon Shell is in the mix. Good competition for some of the starting jobs, for some of the backup jobs, and that's what you want. Let the cream rise to the top. And trust that Aaron Cromer can sort it all out and figure out the right combination of five to play in front of Josh Allen in 2023. All right, folks, we're going to talk about DeAndre Hopkins coming up here in just a moment. But first, need to tell you about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bars on the planet. You got to try these things. If you're like me, you're looking to make healthier snack choices, but you don't want to compromise taste. We got to try Built Bars. They're low calorie, they're low sugar, they're high in protein, and they are delicious. They're delicious because they're covered in 100% real chocolate. They come in great flavors like churro, brownie batter, coconut almond, so many great flavors. It's like eating a candy bar, but they're good for you. So check them out. Head on over to Built.com. Use our promo code LOCKDOWN15. That'll get you 15% off of your next order. But you can also head on over to your local Walmart or Sam's Club and get a box off the shelf right now. So check them out. The best tasting protein bars ever. And I got a feeling if you do, you're going to thank me later. Let's talk about DeAndre Hopkins. After all the discussion about a possible trade, the Cardinals didn't get a trade done. They ultimately released wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Now, there's some people out there that have been surprised. They've been texting with people in the subtext, a lot of questions about DeAndre Hopkins, and a lot of the questions that I've got were, you know, why did they do this pre-June 1st? Because if they would have waited until after June 1st to release DeAndre Hopkins, they could spread out the dead cap hit and not absorb so much of it this year. I think it actually makes perfect sense for Arizona to do this now. I would want to be done with it. I wouldn't want to spread out dead cap into next year. The The Cardinals are going to be a disaster this year. I don't think they're going to win many football games at all. I wouldn't be surprised if they own the number one pick. It's going to be a lost season. Kyler Murray got injured late in the season with an ACL tear. Who knows when he's back? New GM, new head coach. Just a very poor roster. You know, I think they win a couple of games. And so why would you want to extend the dad dead cap hit? Just go ahead and absorb it all right now in what is going to absolutely be a lost year for the franchise. And so I think it makes a lot of sense that they did it this way. But there's a lot of reports out there regarding the Bills and their likelihood of landing DeAndre Hopkins. There's reports, there's betting odds that indicate the Bills are among the leading destinations. Now, you can also find some reports that suggest 
Money is going to be a big factor in wherever Hopkins signs. And if that's really true, if if this just comes down to the highest bidder, I think the Bills are on the, on the outside looking in. I think a lot about Albert Breer and his reports, and he's kind of backburnered the Bills and the Chiefs based on financials, right? The Bills and Chiefs were the teams that were really in on the trade conversation, but financials really allowed, you know, disallowed that move to happen. Now, I understand that some of those financials were tied to Arizona and how much salary they were going to eat. And I think Arizona finally realized that the best thing we can do is just cut him, absorb all the dead cap right now, not try to figure out paying some of his salary or whatever, and just accept this year for what it's going to be. But now DeAndre Hopkins is on the open market and free to negotiate with 31 other teams. And so it really, you know, this is going to come down to Hopkins and his priorities. We know he's come out and said he'd love to play with Josh Allen. Love to play with Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert. But what are his real priorities? Because if it's just about money, then there's other teams that can come in and get this deal done and make it a lot more attractive than what the Bills can for Hopkins. You can go sign with the Carolina Panthers, probably get the most money. A lot of teams can offer a lot more than the Bills can. Now, there also may need to be some reality that needs to sink in for Hopkins. You know, players perceive their value at a certain level, but if that doesn't align with what the teams are going to pay, it doesn't matter. It's a good reminder that value not just in football, but in anything in life, is tied to what someone is willing to pay for it. And so does Hopkins feel like he's a $20 million a year receiver? I don't know. But I really think him being honest about his priorities is going to dictate where he lands. And I'm not sure there's going to be a quick resolution here. Unless somebody comes out and just gives him the deal that he's looking for. But you saw some rumblings out there that that might not happen. And if he does sign with certain teams, he's probably going to have to ask himself some questions about how important winning is for him. Do I want the Bills to sign DeAndre Hopkins? Yes, I do. I do hope this happens. Would I move heaven and earth for it? Does my expectations change significantly for the Buffalo Bills with or without Hopkins? No. The answer to both of those things is no. Hopkins would elevate the team, and I would be excited for his arrival, but I'm not fully convinced the Bills have to sign Hopkins. I do like the idea of his arrival and how that would take some pressure off of Gabe Davis and off of Dalton Kincaid. I think that would be a good thing. I mean, Diggs and Hopkins as your two leading wide receivers, I mean, that's pretty doggone good. That's going to put you in some tough spots if you're a defense. And then you start to factor in other weapons like Knox and Davis and Kincaid and Deontay Hardy and the running backs, and you really get excited about what this Bills offense can be. If the Bills do sign Hopkins, 
you know, a lot of the questions that I'm also been getting are, well, what does that look like? What role does he take? Well, I, I think the answer is quite simple. He takes the Gabe Davis role from 2022 and Gabe Davis takes the Gabe Davis role from 2021 in 2020. And I think that's a good thing. I think Hopkins doing what Gabe did last year would be perfect, right? Because I think Hopkins is just a way better version of that. And Davis going back to him being a lesser volume player, but used in the ways that accentuate his strengths, I think that's also a good thing. And oh, by the way, I do think DeAndre Hopkins can still play. I actually studied his tape, his 2022 tape, a few months ago when the trade rumors really started to to heat up. And on my other podcast, Locked On NFL Scouting, we did an entire episode on DeAndre Hopkins, you know, really assessing the skill set and evaluating what he has left in the tank. And I really like what he offers. I mean, his hands are still otherworldly good. I mean, J.J. Watt even tweeted out and said, look, Hop's still got the best hands in the league. I don't doubt that at all. Elite levels of body control, elite ball skills, very, very good route runner. Those are all high-level traits that he offers. Now, he's not super explosive, but he never has been. He's a very deceptive route runner, a very smooth route runner. And he wins routes early as a very good release package to get off the line. I love how he, I love his technique throughout his route stems and how he uses his release and his route stems to be deceptive, but also not tip his route and just set up breaks, route breaks. He's very, very good. He's got a very, very natural feel for where to be, when to cut how to cut, and how to make himself available for the quarterback. And so him taking over that Gabe Davis role and moving everyone else down one step in the pecking order when it comes to targets is a good thing for the Bills' offense. I think it would be awesome. The question really comes down to, can the Bills make this work? And is Hopkins willing to take the concessions necessary to be a member of the Buffalo Bills? And so as we continue this conversation here in just a moment, we're going to talk about how the Bills could create the space, the cap space necessary to bring in Hopkins, as well as the big elephant in the room when it comes to bringing in DeAndre Hopkins. Stick with me. We'll be right back. All right, we got a bunch more to get into here with the DeAndre Hopkins conversation. But first, I would like to invite you to join the Locked On Bills subtext community something new that we are offering. You can find a link to join the subtext community in the show notes for today. So whether you're on YouTube or whatever podcasting medium, just check out the show notes, click the link for the subtext, and you can sign up. Here's what you get. You one-on-one text conversations with me. And so that's my favorite part. We've been texting back and forth. I've been texting back and forth with listeners all weekend about Hopkins and um, some of the thoughts and different questions back and forth. And so that's really cool. Um, you'll get priority when it comes to herd mentality. We'll have some exclusive content. You'll get some regular bills, musings, texts from me, my first reaction to all bills news. So when the bills signed Brandon shell, the first thing that I did when I saw that news is I sent out a subtext with some of my thoughts on the signing. We're gonna do some giveaways. We did one of those last week. I gave away a couple copies of my book, go bills. 
and uh, some other stuff as well. So check out the Locked On Bills subtext community. I do want to reiterate that nothing changes. The subtext community changes nothing about the delivery of this podcast. It's not behind the paywall or anything like that. You will still enjoy this podcast like you always have since I've been doing it daily in January of 2019. So this is just an extra layer of engagement for those who want it. And so after seeing somebody leave a negative review saying that uh, the podcast was going behind the paywall, I feel the need to let everyone know that this does not change anything about the delivery of the podcast. And it's just an extra layer of engagement for those who might want it. All right, let's get back to DeAndre Hopkins and the Bills here. How do they get this done, right? The Bills don't really have a ton of cap space, less than $2 million in available cap space, and that's not enough, right? That doesn't get Hopkins done, but you know that doesn't allow you to operate in season either, right? The Bills have to create some cap space to, to do either of those things, and they, they might need to do both. And so the most simple path to creating cap space is with a simple restructure when it comes to a couple of contracts. You can restructure Deion Dawkins and save $6.93 million. You can also restructure Tredavious White at $5.8 million in savings. And I think either one of them is likely. I think it's only a matter of time before one or both of them get done, whether it's to bring in Hopkins or just to be able to function in season. You know, Dawkins is a player that I think will sign another deal with the team. He's he's up in a couple of seasons, and I think he'll probably play into his early 30s, 33, 34 with the Bills. I think that's very likely. And then Trey White, you know, a lot of positive reports about where he's at physically and mentally. And you, know, you heard Sean McDermott rave about that. You heard Sal Capaccio and Matt Beauvais on their podcast rave about Tredavious White and him looking like old Trey White. And I think it's important for me to say that right now because if you restructure Tredavious White, you know, you're pretty much setting yourself up to really be tied to him and not really have advantageous outs when it comes to his contract. But that type of momentum gives you some confidence in doing it and feeling good and, and wanting to be tied to, to Tredavious White for a number of years to come. So you have those two restructure candidates in Dawkins and White. And then you can also do contract extensions that allows you to move money around, right? You can push some of the money, oh, this year into next year or whatever, right? There's, it just creates possibilities, We've seen the Bills The Bills did that with Matt Milano, right? They, they extended him for a couple of years, actually gave him a raise, but found more cap space for this year. That, that's certainly a possibility. And so there's some candidates that the Bills can do that with. Taron Johnson is one of those players. Micah Hyde is one of those players. Daquan Jones is certainly one of those players. You can extend them and get more years of them, but also give yourself some cap space right now. And then, of course, there's Ed Oliver. Now, Ed Oliver has a firm cap number this year, but if you do agree to a contract extension with him, you can reduce that. Or you could trade Ed Oliver, which I do not advocate for, because now you have a big hole at three tech. And say what you want about Ed Oliver, he's absolutely a starting caliber three technique, and the Bills don't have anything in line to replace him. There's no outside player that's going to come in and replace him. And so I don't really advocate for that. To me, I want contract year Ed Oliver 
and then figure it out from there. And I say that because, you know, players typically give give you their best performance in contract years, and I would like the Bills to receive that this season. So the other part of this conversation, and I told you I want to get into the elephant in the room, and this is part of it, but the bigger elephant is coming. Part of the appeal in, in signing DeAndre Hopkins isn't just what he means to your football team, and we've talked a lot about that to this point. The other side of that is, well, it, it also means he's not on the Kansas City Chiefs, who feel like the other front runner in this conversation. And, I mean, that would be a tremendous signing for them. I mean, if you could take off your Bills hat right now, and I'm, I could hypothetically do that because I have a Bills hat on right now. Like, you could see that Kansas City should sign DeAndre Hopkins. They lost Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency. And their wide receiver core is potent, right? They have Kadarius Toney. They have Sky Moore. But how much have those guys proven? Rasheed Rice is coming in. Jalen Watson. Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They can absolutely use DeAndre Hopkins. And I think he'd be a really good weapon for Patrick Mahomes. And so I think their need and the excitement is very, very similar on their part of the equation. But also, they have some very, very easy paths to creating cap space. I mean, they're they're pretty tight right now. They're around a million bucks in available space, but they've got $51 million in available space next year. That positions them quite well to get creative with how they structure the deal. But also, they have some very easy, simple restructures that they could do. You know, I went through this with Deion Dawkins and Trey White with the Bills, but there's even more possibilities for Kansas City. Simple restructure with Joe Tooney gets them $9.2 million. Simple restructure with Travis Kelsey gets them seven and a half. Justin Reed, $4 million. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, $4 million. Oh, by the way, they can go ahead and extend Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey, which feels inevitable anyways, and that's going to free up cap space. So their path to getting that done is very, very clear. And to me, if I'm, if I'm Brett Veach, the GM of the Chiefs, I get this done. I think that they need it too. And so there's that piece of the conversation, but the other elephant in the room, and it's not an elephant for me, okay? This isn't a problem for me, but as I get predictive and I get inside the head of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, there's a very real piece of this if the Bills do bring in DeAndre Hopkins, which I don't think would be just for a one-year type situation, is it complicates things with Gabriel Davis. That's okay with me. I don't know if it's okay with them. The Bills love Gabriel Davis. I listen to every word that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott say, and I've heard them talk about a lot of football players, and I know that they've said a lot of nice things about football players that are no longer with the Bills, whether that's Tremaine Edmonds or Levi Wallace. But the way they talk about Gabe Davis is just at another level. I mean, it's it's the highest praise. I mean, just talking about his habits, and nobody can outwork Gabe Davis. And if there's anything that Gabe Davis needs to correct, I bet you he'll get it done. And just raving about this guy. And if you bring in Hopkins, you complicate that. Gabe Davis is in a contract year. I don't know that an extension is imminent, but it sort of feels like they'd like to bring him back. And if you bring in Hop, to me, that complicates things. Again, not a problem for me, but I do think it's a layer to the 
conversation as Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are navigating this possibility. I don't think it's a disqualifier, but it's certainly something to be mindful of. So there you have it. We talked about the arrival of Brandon Shell, and we got into the DeAndre Hopkins conversation. I was wondering if I was going to do that or not, but I, I know this is a, a an item that's weighing heavily on the minds of Bill's Mafia, and so I figured I needed to dedicate some time uh, to the possibility. And, of course, if it happens, we'll, we'll go another layer. We'll get even deeper into the weeds with the Hopkins conversation. But, I, like I said, I don't know that there's a quick resolution here, so this might draw, you know, drag out for a little bit. All right, folks, tomorrow on the podcast, I'm expecting to get a big update from OTAs with media availability. So we'll be covering what we learned on the podcast tomorrow from OTAs And then on Thursday, buckle up. We got a very exciting guest lined up. I'm not going to tell you who it is because I haven't recorded it yet. And I don't like to, I don't like to promise something. And then if it doesn't work out, then everyone wonders why it didn't happen and all that type of stuff. But I am planning on a very exciting guest for Thursday covering a topic that is, you know, pretty, pretty big in the world of social media. So Stay tuned for that. As always, I kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.